An ugly loss and an ugly postgame for Virginia Tech. An easy but costly win for UVA. ACC basketball teams are getting going, hopefully, this week. All that, the Clemson-Florida State flap, and Aaron McFarland's puppy chow, this week on Teal and Barber. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's ACC, Virginia Tech, and UVA sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, maybe working on 14, and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? Mike, good morning and happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving to you. So what what will the Teal family Thanksgiving look like in 2020? Much smaller. <laughs> uh, and, and, and actually, Mike, I'm, I'm so old that I, I really don't have any family, blood family. So this is more my wife's side of the, of the, uh, of the family. And we'll, we'll be with a much smaller group of them this year. I mean, usually we have about 30 Whew. and we will have less than half that. No, it makes sense. I'll tell you, we're just doing the immediate family here. So the wife and two kids. And um, I love Thanksgiving. I love cooking for Thanksgiving. And I'll tell you, this is kind of humorous. Um, I decided we'll do a Thanksgiving dinner on on Thursday, on Thanksgiving. And then we'll do it again on, on Saturday. Um, I love the leftovers. I love having all that. I said, we'll, we'll buy two small turkeys. So, you know, we'll do a little one on Thursday. We'll do a little one on Saturday. Uh, and we'll kind of do Thanksgiving twice. And um I ordered from Kroger, my pickup, and they <laughs> they were unable to fill the turkey order because they were sold out of the small turkeys. So we got oh, a, wow. we got one that was 14 pounds, which is fine, and then we got one that is 24 pounds. So we have 38 pounds of turkey for myself, my wife, uh, my daughter, and my 17-month-old baby. Uh, we've already talked to some of the neighbors who are are not in a position to cook for themselves this year and said, I'll be very happy to bring you uh, Thanksgiving dinner to your door uh, on Thursday or Saturday, <laughs> because we are, we are plenty full with Turkey, plenty to be thankful for. <laughs> yeah. I hope the baby has a healthy appetite, man. He, he is a astonishingly good eater, um, which is great. And it's good for his health and his development, but it's a little frustrating because there are certain foods that feed three, like a pound of ground beef. You can get three good burgers out of that. And now that the baby's eating essentially a, a quarter pound burger, we kind of have to go to a second package of ground beef. And there's other things like the, the packages of chicken when you do the chicken breast. So um, I'm very happy that Evan's a good eater, but um, he's definitely upping the, the uh, grocery bill. And I have to keep that in mind when I'm doing portions. So uh, for Thanksgiving, though, he'll be set. I, I think that the two turkeys uh, should feed him uh, capably. Well, David, Virginia Tech... It didn't have much to be thankful for Saturday at Heinz Field. You and you and I were there for that, and I mean the Panthers just drilled Tech for forty-seven to fourteen. Uh, you know they handed this slumping team a third straight loss. The the defense was bad, the offense was bad. The place kicker missed a field goal, and and Coach Justin Fuente he came to the post game conference on Zoom with a, a bit of a attitude himself and. Uh, despite a, a second straight ineffective outing uh, by the offense, Justin didn't care for my question uh, when I asked him about possibly taking away play calling duties from Brad Cornelson. Yeah, Justin, I know you've said before that you think sometimes the play calling question is, is overrated, but 
going into the open date, would you consider a situation where you take over the play? No, that's the most ludicrous crap I've ever heard. Next question. So, so where to start, David? <laughs> now we've we've seen coaches at every level of football, from the NFL to college to high school teams, where the head coach takes over play calling if a unit's struggling, especially if they have an offensive background um, to take over the offensive play calling. If they're a defensive guy, they might get more involved on the defensive side. So, first to you, was my question ludicrous crap? <laughs> well, first of all, I thought you asked it very tactfully. And I thought Justin Fuente answered it while honestly, <laughs> with absolutely zero tact. There, there's a way to answer that question, and he chose the opposite. Um, if I were in his shoes, and, and, and let's remember, you, know, you mentioned we've seen coaches at every level change up in, in the midst of a season. It was just a week or two weeks ago where Justin Fuente took over the scout team, right? Yeah. So he so he changed the routine. Now he wasn't essentially demoting a coordinator in doing so. Now were, were I in his, his shoes, would I take away Brad Cornelson's play calling responsibilities? No. I think there's a lot to be said for this offense. We can get into it a little more here in a bit, but. Yeah, he was salty after a loss. I get that. But you've just got to handle yourself a little bit better and a little more temperately after, you know, after a frustrating performance. David, for the for the record, I, I don't advocate either changing play callers here, but um you know, I think it's something that we've seen Justin Fuente get more involved in the past. We saw, you know, the Jerry Kill hire uh, a couple of years back to kind of try to jumpstart the, the running game. So it just seemed like um, an opportunity for him to say the answer that I think the fans were looking for, which was every option is on the table to improve this offense. If he wanted to go the other way and say, hey, I don't think play calling is a problem. This is about execution and preparation. That's fine, too. I Honestly, I didn't think it was that hard a question. No, it wasn't. And he, he clearly struck a nerve with him. And he and Brad Cornelson go way back. They're not only co-workers and colleagues. They're very close friends. So I think that's part of it. And, you know, Mike, is, is poorly – as the offense performed Saturday at Pitt on the scoreboard with 14 points and clear third down issues, I still believe the overarching issue this season is the other side of the ball. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, there, there's a lot of problems right now for, for Justin Twente to, to kind of address and address in this open week. But I'm glad we agree that my question wasn't ludicrous. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I do think you, you do have to give Justin not a pass because coaches are paid for those moments and to, to you know, behave a little better than that. But um, a tough, really, I'm sure, grinding loss for him the way it played out in a year that's just got so much stress and pressure with the pandemic. So um, I guess let's not hold that answer against him, although I didn't particularly appreciate it. Now, you're right. There's plenty wrong with this team. Let's start then with the defense. David, is it just as simple as guys in and out and a new coordinator, or what are you seeing? Well, we, we mentioned this last week, Mike. It it seems the healthier they get on defense, <laughs> the, the worse they play. I mean, it's, it, it's kind of weird. 
And now they were very thin at corner on on Saturday, and Pitt knew it, and Pitt really, really attacked it. I mean, they essentially abandoned the run. Kenny Pickett threw for 400-plus, and Tex Corners were giving Pitt's receivers all kinds of cushion, and they just they just picked them apart. I think Pittsburgh had six scoring drives of at least 65 yards, and as soon as Virginia Tech failed on that fourth and goal hmm. at the one, I just knew Pitt yeah. was going 99 yards. It's just been that kind of season for the defense, and sure enough, Pickett finds DJ Turner for 64 yards and, and a touchdown four plays later. Yeah, the, the only thing that surprised me was that there was a big chunk play because yeah. they had worked their way so methodically. If I had an objection to the way the defense played, I, I mean, other than giving up a ton of points and, and not being very good overall, but if I had a specific objection, Pittsburgh had three starting offensive linemen out. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, Tech had the issue at corner, but to me, that was a time to be a little more aggressive, to, to go after Pickett, to not let him get in a rhythm, especially early. It really felt like they came out with, for lack of a better term, David, a timid game plan. Like they were sitting back, they were waiting back, they were trying to see what was going to happen, and they really let Pickett and that offense get into a rhythm. I just thought that, hey, yes, he's going to get the ball out of his hands quick because of, of the line issues, but go after him. Make sure there's a hand in his face. Make sure there's some disruption. If he's going to get the ball out of his hand quick, why not be up and jamming those receivers at the line and messing with the timing? It just felt like they played right into his hands of he wants to get the ball out quick and move it with short passes they played back and let him do it. They didn't really get after him. They didn't really disrupt the timing. And the next thing you know, Kenny Pickett's on his way to being the ACC quarterback of the week. Yes, but I actually thought Tech defended fairly well early because they gave up yards, granted. But to, to hold Pitt to field goals on those first three scoring drives you know you've you've only given up nine points there when in past games that might have easily been 17 or 21 i thought it was trending well for virginia tech there to 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 force alex kessman to kick field goals one of which was a 52 yarder there i believe in the second quarter uh, you know, and then Hooker hits the 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 deep pass to Turner for Tech's first touchdown. It's nine to seven, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, they they're obviously back in this, got a shot. But then after that, the dam broke. Yeah, I I think they were lucky to escape with field goals on those first three, and I think they basically un- unleashed the beast by letting Pickett get in a rhythm. But you mentioned Trey Turner. You mentioned the big catch. He was the spark, right, in that second corner. Mm-hmm. A pair of touchdowns, great catches. It seemed like maybe things were getting going, and then he got hurt. Um, one player should not derail your offense, but one player did. They lost Turner, and after that, they were punchless. What What's wrong on that side of the ball? To me, the big issue, Mike, is third down. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you look at the stats, and, and and these are these numbers aren't inflated by playing some FCS chumps. I mean, everybody's playing a difficult schedule. Virginia Tech's averaging thirty three points a game, and the only ACC teams better are Clemson, Carolina, Wake, Notre Dame, and Miami. Four of which are nationally ranked. Virginia Tech is second only to North Carolina in yards per play. 
They're first in yards per rush. Pitt was allowing only 2.2 yards per rush, and Virginia Tech doubled that. The problem is third down. 35.5% conversion, and that's ahead of only Syracuse in the league. 3 of 11 against Pitt, 0 for 3 on fourth down. I I think we all believe that Brad Cornelson and the offense have become too predictable with quarterback runs on on third and and fourth down and to to me you know Justin Fuente told us yesterday that during this off week they are going to break down everything and do some serious self scouting well that's where I'd be doing the self scouting is on third down yeah thank thankfully they do have the open date this week uh you know and Justin Fonte talked about the team needing it to recharge right there's just they've played a lot of snaps they've played the nine games in a row um they finally get to their open date the stress of covid uh now Hokies plan to practice today and and, and tomorrow this is Tuesday and Wednesday um most of that work though was going to go to the younger the, the guys who don't play as many snaps then they're going to take two days off for Thanksgiving I asked coach Fonte if players would be free to go home for the holiday despite the COVID concerns. And he said, yes, he's not going to lock his guys up is what he said. He hopes they use good judgment. David, considering how close they are to the finish line, does that surprise you? No, because I actually asked him that question last week. And he said, no, that he just, after all they have, he actually took the opposite tact. He said, all we've asked them to do, I just don't have it in me to forbid them to be with their families at Thanksgiving. Risky? You could argue that it is. Um, but w- we'll see when when they come back. And you don't, you don't know how many will, will take that opportunity. But it didn't surprise me because that's what he'd said the previous week. You know, it's interesting. The, the ACC has protocol in place, but only if you're away from the program for more than three days. Right. And this times out to be two and a half days. So these guys won't be tested upon returning. They'll just be into the regular testing protocol, which means if one of them goes home and, and contracts the virus, they'll be back with their team and going before tech might find out that, that they've been exposed or that they uh, have contracted it. So I, I get it. I, I get why it's hard to deny even more to these kids. But to me, it's, I know at UVA and it's a little different at UVA because they got a game Saturday. It makes a huge difference. But um, to me, it's, it's a almost unnecessary roll of the dice at at this point. But um, again, there are no easy answers during all this. Well, We've talked a lot about Justin Fuente already in this show, and and fans were talking plenty about the embattled coach. And that's today's topic in Take It or Leave It. Thanks, Mike. It is Take It or Leave It. Our first question, you mentioned the fans, the Hokie fans. They're reacting, I guess we'd say, pretty strongly (laughs) to uh, Virginia Tech's third straight loss. Some are calling for a change in the head coaching position. Justin Fuente's job is in danger here down the stretch. Take it or leave it. Let's start with David. I'm going to leave it, uh, guys, for for several reasons. Probably first and foremost, this is just the most unique season we've ever seen. It is a pandemic season. Is the trend line good? Absolutely not. Are the Hokies most likely going to have their first losing regular season since 1992? They sure are. That'll be a second overall losing season in three years. Not a good stretch. 
But unlike previous years, like two years ago, some of Virginia Tech's losses were ghastly into some bad teams. And Saturday's result aside, Pitt's pretty good. And everyone else that Virginia Tech has lost to is pretty darn good as well. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I'm pretty strongly on record as saying no coaches should be fired this year. Obviously, we've already seen a couple. Um, You know, if you guide your team successfully onto the field 10, 11, or 12 times, uh, I don't don't care what your record is this year. I I know that sounds blunt and maybe a little naive, but um, I just think that what these guys have been asked to do this year, um, I don't see how you can judge them on wins and losses. Now, I do think this year is an important data point as you evaluate Justin Fuente. And I think next year uh, he's going to be on an incredibly hot seat uh, and, and understandably, but I think for the financial reasons and I think for the fairness reasons, I just don't see how anybody in, in good conscience and, and, you know, think about Whit Babcock. He's the son of a, a former college coach, right? His dad was a, a college baseball coach at JMU guided the Dukes to the college world series. He gets the coaching profession and think about this. One of the big reasons when, teams and schools fire coaches and it's a little bit borderline like you're not sure which way they're going to go you always hear them talking about wanting to energize the fan base and i I know i've said this on the show before no one in the country is going to have a hard time convincing fans to come to their games next year after spending a year away tech fans cannot wait to get back into lane stadium you don't have to fire your coach to to energize them um I think next year, Justin Fuente is absolutely on the hot seat, but I think he should be 100% safe this year. Well, Mike, the only caveat I would throw out there. <laughs> no, I'm, and, I think I know uh, where you might be going. No, the dynamic between an athletic director and his head coaches is so essential. What is that relationship like between Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente? Are they simpatico? Did the Baylor flirtation damage that relationship in any way? Were those scars, if there were any, healed quickly or did they linger? I think that plays in here. And also, you know, you you mentioned that fans will be eager to return to the stadium. I think you're right. But will donors be eager to pony up the large dollars that it is going to take for these athletic departments to at least try to bridge the gap with all the revenue shortfalls that they are facing. And those are questions that Whit Babcock and his bosses will have to weigh. Does that mean, I don't think Justin Fuente is going to get fired. And from what I know, I don't believe he should. But I would, I would just warn folks that there are internal dynamics within an athletic department. And we saw it with Seth Greenberg and Jim Weaver many years ago. Did Seth Greenberg's record merit his dismissal? No. But he and Jim Weaver got sideways. And that relationship became untenable. And that's what led to his firing. That's the only thing I'd be on the lookout for. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting angle to the whole story. And um, you, know, you talk about the donors and the financial impact, but just remember, David, if you fire Justin Fuente, you just oh, yeah. added 
$12.5 million more to whatever the donors are going to have to make up. Now, you hear all the time about donors saying they're willing to cut the check because they want the guy out so bad. But I'd also caution that people want coaches fired a lot more on Sunday and Monday uh, than they do Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So uh, there's a a lot of ebb and flow to that emotion as well. Now, on the flip side of things, at least as far as winning and losing streaks go, Virginia has now won three straight. They blasted an, an overmatched Abilene Christian squad 55-15 to 15 on Saturday, and uh, I'm sure Aaron McFarling will make mention of the way that game ended <laughs> <laughs> when we get to his segment. But, yeah. but David, really, it's what the Who's lost, or, or rather who the Who's lost, that I thought was the big story. Senior linebacker Charles Snowden, uh, who has really helped fuel this improved defense, his his disruptive playmaking off the edge. He broke his right ankle in the first quarter. He had surgery Monday. He's done for the year and, and maybe, we don't know, but maybe done playing at UVA. Cornerback Nick Grant was in the medical tent, the little pop-up tent on the sideline when Snowden went down. Here's what he saw and heard. I just heard it and I, I could hear the severity in the crowd. Like nobody was talking. Even like some of the people who were in the tent with me went back outside and just when by the time I came back out, I saw him getting helped into the locker room. So I was like, all right, like it, normally he would have came to the tent if it was if it was real serious. He just went straight to the locker room. So I knew it was something serious. So I was like, dang, like that's really rough for someone who's worked so hard and leads our team in every aspect. So I just knew it was I knew it was pretty hard on me just watching him go back there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty hard on this Virginia defense, David. How, how big a loss is this for UVA? Mike, I thought Nick Grant put it really well. He leads this team in every aspect, and that is on the field and in the locker room, academically, socially. I mean, he is such a presence and as, and as Bronco Mendenhall said in response to your question yesterday, I mean, his, his growth, Charles Stone's growth, has essentially mirrored the growth of the UVA program under Mendenhall stewardship. Uh, it, yeah, I, I think it's a huge loss for the program. Not to say, you know, we're not putting him in the grave. He's going to be around, and, and that won't change. Uh, but but he will be missed on a daily basis. Yeah, I, Charles Snowden is is a fascinating dude. Like we could oh do an gosh. we yeah. could do an episode of the podcast just on Charles Snowden, and and you know he's been great to us. And and I'll just point to early in the year when, when Broncos said he was you know playing fine, but he wasn't being impactful. Um, you know that's a criticism, right? If you, if your star player isn't being impactful, and the coaches call that out, that that's a criticism, and. I said, hey, I asked, would Charles be willing to do an interview with me to, to talk about that? And he didn't hesitate. I mean, they got back to me within an hour and said, yeah, absolutely. He'll talk to you. And he came and talked to me. And, and his first thing he said was, I agree. I agree that I'm not playing well enough. I agree that this team needs more from me. Um, he, he talked about reasons. He was really honest. He said not having fans in the stands, he felt like really impacted him. He's a guy who feeds off the emotion. Um, but he basically said, hey, I know what this team needs from me. 
And I have to find a way, whatever the circumstances are, to give this team what it needs. And David, I thought that was the reason that this defense, starting with Miami, even though that was a loss, um, he had three and a half plays behind the line of scrimmage. He had four sacks the next time out. His ability to disrupt timing and to alter teams' game plans, to me, that was the biggest thing that got Virginia turned around. Mike, you know what Charles Snowden is? He's football's Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, I, I mean, in in all aspects, I, I I really think that I think his impact on the program is is similar. You know, he won't be a consensus first team All American like Brogdon was, <clears throat> or the ACC Player of the Year, but just the embodiment. And I know people think it's so trite, but it's true. He he really does represent what the term student athlete is supposed to mean not only at UVA but at but at any institution and I I just think he's been a, a credit to himself his family the program the university since the day he set foot in Charlottesville yeah well said we both send our our best to Charles Snowden hope for a uh, excellent recovery and and then success in whatever's next whether he decides to to come back which is an option at UVA or or more likely go on to the pros yeah. we we wish him well uh David we were both in Pittsburgh watching tech so we didn't see this game in person um with Abilene Christian but going over it Brendan Armstrong he had another big day albeit again against fairly subpar competition how do we feel about Armstrong the offense as they head down the stretch. He's playing well, right? Yeah. Really is. He's got Lavelle Davis back. They only hooked up once, but hey, 90 yards for a touchdown. That'll <laughs> that works. Yeah, they're getting they're getting a little more punch from the, the running game. Now losing Rankinsmeyer up front, you know, that that hurts. Um, but they've they, they've got experienced folks to to plug in there. But yeah, I, I think this this club is is rolling at the right time, and I expect it to continue this week against a Florida State group that has, oh by the way, the worst defense in its program's history. Yeah, Florida State is struggling all over on both sides of the ball. Special teams off the field. We'll get a little more into their uh, situation with with Clemson later in the show, but. Um, when you bring up a good point about Florida State's defense, because I thought with Rankinsmeyer out and Lavelle Davis Jr. coming back and, and trying to find itself and a bigger role for Ronnie Walker, I thought this was a good opponent in Abilene Christian timing-wise for Virginia to kind of reform that offense a little bit. And I think that Florida State, even though it's certainly a very capable opponent, with its defensive issues... I think Virginia didn't have to finish the puzzle last no. week against Abilene Christian. I think Virginia is still going to be finding a little bit of how it works, especially in that front five. Um, and I still think they can win this game as they figure things out. Yeah, I don't, oh, I don't think there's any question. I mean, Florida State's given up 36 points a game. I mean, this is a relatively young program, believe it or not. Florida State didn't begin playing football at the Division One level until the 1950s. But the Seminoles have never been this bad defensively in those 70 seasons. And it's it's grim in, in Tallahassee. And as you mentioned, and it's on both sides of the ball. Uh, and, and, and to think that their only ACC win is against Carolina. How did that, how did that happen? It's 2020. You can't make sense of it. Right. 
Well, Vegas likes the Who's a lot this weekend. They're nearly a 10-point favorite in Tallahassee on Saturday. Are are they a good bet to cover? Let's ask our good friend Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times, as he does each week. Aaron's going to join us for his segment, AMAX Puppy Chow. Aaron, uh, we made the trip to Pittsburgh. We were both there. Did you get a little casino time in? I did, and I actually uh, had a losing session, but I went to the... Uh Went to the bank the next morning, crossed over the river, and made a deposit uh, of all the winnings that I had acquired over the entire course of the pandemic and basically ceremoniously said goodbye to uh, casino gambling for the rest of 2020 because I don't think <laughs> – it's getting less and less fun. I can, I can put it that way. The protocols are, are what they are. They are what they're supposed to be, uh, but it makes it a lot less fun. You know, no, no drinks on the floor, you know, all things like that are, are kind of gone away. Yeah, it's just added to the list of things that aren't quite as fun during a pandemic, and uh, hopefully we'll be back to normal in casinos as well at some point. Uh, all right, let's get to the chow. Do, do you have an upset you love this week? Yeah, I'm going to go to the quote-unquote big game, and I believe that's on Friday night, actually. Um, yeah. Stanford Cal. Stanford's at Cal, and they're catching one and a half. Uh, both of these teams are 0-2. Of course, COVID's been wreaking havoc on, on the Pac-12, and these two programs have been uh, a part of the the casualties of uh, Stanford though is five and0 in the last five meetings at Cal and they've covered in six of the last eight big games overall against Cal road teams four and0 in the last four meetings I'm looking at this and saying you know I like David Shaw as a coach I know that their defense has been terrible so far but it's a small sample size two games uh, they didn't play last week because uh, Washington State had COVID issues they had to postpone. Stanford was relatively healthy, could have played the game. In fact, the Pac-12 gave them the option of scheduling a non-conference game in place of that Washington State game. Stanford declined. They said, we need to work on ourselves. So I'm feeling like with, uh, you know, there's smart guys on that team, smart guys on that campus, with the tre- with the, uh, with the the trends going in the right direction in the head-to-head, I'll, I'll pick uh, Stanford to get the first win of the year for these that makes teams. That makes sense. You got Stanford putting in a little extra, a little extra work for this one to back you up. Now, how about in the ACC? Do you have a best bet on the board in the conference? Yeah, I'm going to go dumpster diving a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of big lines, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to go with Duke as a pick 'em against Georgia Tech. And this is a, a matchup that I don't think very many people are going to be watching unless you have money on it. Um, and Duke, look, they've covered in each of the past six meetings with the Yellow Jackets. Um, this has been a good matchup. For, for Duke in in this uh, in recent years, and uh, I, I think it's going to continue. I mean, the, I don't. I, I look at Georgia Tech and I say, what do they do well? And the answer is really nothing. I mean, they turn the ball over. They don't stop anybody. They don't move the ball very well. Now Duke turns the ball over a lot too. But if uh, they can sort of mitigate that a little bit this week, I think they have the horses to go in there to Atlanta and, and win this game. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be tuning in for that one, but I'll I'll check back to see how you did. Uh, finally, how about these Cavaliers? They're, they're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite last time I checked on the road at Florida State. I, I know Florida State obviously has had their issues. Uh, that seemed like a big number to me. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to keep riding the Cavaliers. Of course, we. Uh, I'm sure you saw. I'm sure you saw that the Cavaliers were one of the uh, bad beats one of the worst bad beats of all time. If you had Abilene Christian last week, getting the 39 and a half, uh, that was part of Scott Van Pelt's uh, weekly display. Uh, it was pretty funny if you saw how that game ended uh, with the pick six. Um, you know, look, Virginia's covered in each of its past five games. They're, they're, they're just a covering machine right now. 
Um, you know, I, I don't like the fact that they lost their linebacker and who's a, the heart and soul of that defense. That that really hurts. Uh, but, you know, Snowden, of course, is who I'm referring to there. But, uh, you know, Florida State's a mess. You had this whole mess with Clemson this week and nothing but distractions for them. And, and Virginia, you know, they're they're playing well. They, you know, this in the last uh, four meetings between these two teams, the road team is covered in three of them, and the other one was a push. So uh, the home field hasn't mattered much in this series in terms of covering, and I think uh, Virginia will continue its role. Good stuff. Before I let you go, I did want to ask you about that because when you have a, a bad beat like that, I mean, that's that was epic, right, that you don't see a lot like that. As somebody who's into sports betting, does that make you um, smile, laugh? Does it make it more fun? Or does it make you kind of sick to your stomach and think, I got to get out of this? <laughs> it reminds me of my roommate in college when I wasn't really into gambling all that much, but he was a huge better and he would, you know, he had a bookie and he would have to pay off his bookie every week. But I remember he would sit there and he'd be losing late in games and he'd be rooting for pick sixes. And I'd say to myself, you're, you got a problem if you're rooting for pick sixes. That's just not going to happen. Well, if you're a Virginia a better last week, that's exactly what happened. So, yes, I do, I do laugh a little bit. If it happens to me on the wrong side of it, shoot, it happens all the time, especially in soccer. You know, I bet draws and I get daggered in the 93rd minute. Um, mm. That hurts. It hurts. But, you know, you, you get it the other way too. You know, you'll get that late equalizer that, that sends you on your way. So you just got to take the good with the bad and, and try to stay even keel. I mean, part of the reason you do gamble is for the fun and the emotion. Uh, investment of it. That's at least part of the reason I do it. It's not a cold money-making scheme. It's it's part of entertainment, but uh, you can't let it get, get you down too bad. Yeah, that end of that Virginia game certainly was entertaining. I think that's a fair way to describe it. That was Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times and his segment, AMAX Puppy Chow. David, one game that came off the betting boards this weekend was Clemson at Florida State. The Tigers They were already in Tallahassee when FSU decided that it had some issues with Clemson's COVID safety during the week. They backed out of the game. Dabo Sweeney this week, I thought kind of classlessly claimed Florida State was ducking his team and said the postponement had nothing to do with with COVID. What do we know about what transpired there? Mike, I spent a good bit of Sunday and all day Monday delving into this and both schools followed ACC protocol. Let's, let's make that clear. The problem is this is an imperfect season and all protocols are imperfect. And what happened is Clemson was tested on Friday before getting on the airplane to go to Tallahassee. But those results aren't known before, they leave, before a team leaves. That's a potential problem that heretofore has has not caused a stir. The ACC had played 65 football games before Saturday, but then Clemson arrives in Tallahassee and discovers late Friday that a young man has tested positive. Florida State becomes concerned because that young man could have infected folks on the airplane, in the hotel. Could that then be transmitted on the field to Florida State athletes? Now, again, we haven't seen transmission on the field. Does that mean it can't happen? No. This is a novel virus. We don't, we don't know everything about it. And the way the ACC protocols are set up, this is something that the presidents agreed upon. 
The ACC protocol puts this decision in the hands of the medical staffs. If one team's staff is uncomfortable, that game doesn't get played. Now, Dan Radakovich has subsequently said, do we need a third-party arbiter? And when I asked Bronco Mendenhall about this yesterday, he mentioned the prospect of a third-party arbiter. Is that a discussion worth having? Sure. And I think it's a discussion worth having that should the ACC be like the other Power Fives and know the results of its test before a game prior to a team leaving its campus to travel. I think that's a discussion worth having. But for Dabo Sweeney to stand up there and say, this had nothing to do with COVID, essentially accusing FSU of ducking them, I agree with you. That's beneath him. We, we expect sniping from fans. I mean, that's just how they are from players, their kids, but not from the grown-ups in the room. The grown-ups who are living this every day, they got to be better than that. They got to set a better example than that. And he failed. Yeah, that was really disappointing when you consider everything that's going on, everything that's going on in the country, and the platform that Dabo has, right? He's as big a name as there is yes. in college football. He's up there with Nick Saban. You need better from Dabo. So you need better from Clemson's AD. I get the Clemson players. Like we saw some stuff on Twitter that, but again, and this goes to when you talk about leadership, if that's Dabo's attitude, you can't fault the players for feeling that way and saying some kind of stupid stuff on Twitter, right? Because their head coach says, Hey, these guys were ducking you. One thing on the arbiter that concerns me, and this is where um, it's complicated and it's hard. I get that. If there are three people in the room, the Florida state medical staff, the Clemson medical staff, and the arbiter. I don't care what the arbiter says. If I'm Florida State's medical staff, if I don't think it's safe to play, my guys aren't playing. And Mm -hmm. I get what you're talking about with, you know, then it it becomes a league decision and all. But if I'm Florida State and their medical people said, this is too big a concern, we're not playing. I don't care what the rules say. I don't care if there's an arbiter. I don't care if John Swafford comes into the room himself. I don't care if I don't think it's safe to put my guys out there and I'm the medical team, that's my call. So the arbiter sounds really good to me on, on paper. Like, okay, you can't decide fairly between the two of you. Let's have somebody neutral decide. I think the way it's written is perfect by the ACC. If either team doesn't want to play, they don't play. And that's what happened. Yeah, no, it's exactly what happened. I, I think the more pertinent discussion moving forward, and I know there's not much of the season left, but there's enough where they, they could reverse course here, or change course, is doing some, some testing adjustments where you know those results before you get on that plane. David, college basketball tips off this week around the country. Uh, 120 games right now on the schedule for Wednesday. We've already seen 20 or so canceled or postponed. Um, We've even seen programs shutting down. And, uh, you know, the COVID is going to hang over basketball the way it has football. How are we feeling about the upcoming season at this point? Man, I'm I'm not pessimistic, but I... I just think, especially Mike, the, the next few weeks, there you're going to need your head on a swivel. You and I were just talking as we were recording earlier. The ACC just moved the conference tournament you know, from from DC back to to Greensboro, where the league is headquartered. 
And, you know, it's, it's not an ACC program, but r- right in Richmond, VCU was supposed to go to Tennessee. And now, as we speak, the Rams are on an airplane to South Dakota <laughs> to, 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 to play in some multi-team event out there because Rick Barnes tested positive for COVID at UT and they shut things down and, and canceled their MTE. I mean, it's, you know, Miami's already had to postpone its opener. Duke's postponed its opener. And, and, and UVA's not playing Florida anymore. It looks like the Cavaliers on Friday will be playing San Francisco up at Mohegan Sun. So it's who knows who's going to play whom when. Yeah, the, the word I would use is dicey. Everything's dicey. Yeah. I spent 20 minutes on the phone this morning with Tom Gabbard, and, and we both know Tom and, and love Tom. He's been great. He's a, a longtime assistant AD at, at Virginia Tech, and one of the things he, he oversees had been basketball, has been basketball, and, and also facilities. And we talked about just the operation of how it's going to work. Um, Tech is supposed to host Radford in its opener Wednesday, and and we talked about everything to, you know, when teams have shoot arounds, uh, what are they allowed to do? Where are they allowed to go? Tom told me when teams come for shoot arounds, they're not going to be allowed to use the locker room because the locker rooms are already going to be sanitized and then they'd have to be re-sanitized. Uh, what are the officials going to do? He told me they had a basketball scrimmage recently at Tech Intrasquad and they had officials come in to kind of do the full deal. And um, the officials wore masks but they had them down while they're running the floor and blowing their whistle, right? You can't blow the whistle while you've got a mask. But then when it was time to talk to a player or a coach or the scorer's table, they pulled the mask up. I asked him, are players on the bench going to be required to have masks up? He said, we don't, we're not sure yet. That's still kind of in the talks. So th- there's so much going on, so many moving pieces. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, I'll, I'll be blunt, it, it's going to be a minor miracle if they're able to get through. And I know that the NCAA has um, lowered the standard to 13 games to make the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, we've talked on the show, you asked Mike Young about, hey, if he would sign up right now for getting 20 games in, would he take it? And how quickly he raised his hand to, to say, yeah, sign me up for that. Uh but it's, it's going to be a chore. It's going to be a chore to get through this. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting, Mike. You mentioned officials. I would not be surprised to see last-minute postponement slash cancellation because of an official or two coming up positive or being in contact tracing. If, if we get this season played, Brian Kersey – Maybe the MVP. He's the he's the coordinator of officials, and he 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 has to schedule all these guys, and he works not only in the ACC but also in the Colonial and the Atlantic Ten. I I can't imagine what Brian is going through right now. And that brings up another question. I don't know if if you know because I I haven't gotten an answer yet, and it seems like the coaches don't know. We see officials who work different games in different leagues on different nights, right? They hop all around. Leagues have different testing protocols. States have different testing uh, standards. Some states say you can test out of quarantine. Some states say you can't. Uh, what's the plan? Do we know what the plan is for officials in terms of, can they? are they just going to work ACC games? Are they going to be free to, to moonlight and hop around? And, and how is that? How is it going to work? It's going to be much less moonlighting, much less travel, especially commercial air travel. And I think you will see regionalized schedules. And I I, I think it means teams will see the same officials 
more frequently those that live those who live closer to those respective campuses officials whose home base is in the northeast they're going to be spending a lot of time at syracuse and boston college and pitt those who live in virginia north carolina they're going to spend an inordinate amount of time on tobacco road you know the the, the days of a Tuesday game in Dallas and a Wednesday game in Boston for this season, they're over. Yeah, as you say that, Virginia fans are scrambling to figure out where Jamie Lucky lives and if, <laughs> if they're going to have a, a healthy dose of Jamie this year or not. And I'm sure Tony Bennett would be a little curious too. David, you wrote a column this week, handicapping the ACC. And uh, you know, Aaron McFarlane's not the only one who could do some ha- handicapping on this podcast. Real quick, looking from the bottom up, who don't you like this year? Who, who, who just doesn't seem to have the pieces to be a factor going into this thing? Wake. I mean, I feel I feel badly for um, for Steve Forbes. I mean, tough, tough first year, and you know his his, his roster is decimated. And now he brought in a bunch of transfers, including Isaiah Wilkins mm-hmm. from from Virginia Tech. Uh, but no, I, I I think the Deacons are in for a long year. I I think Pitt's probably going to be near the, the, the bottom of the league, uh, experience notwithstanding. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And again, you know, how many games get played? Are you really going to be able to tell? <laughs> uh, but you know, th- those would be my, my picks as teams that are probably going to really, really struggle. Yeah, an upset or two this year could really change where you finish in the standings because of uh, how few games we may get through. How about on the top of the league? We, we both like Virginia as the favorite to win the league. We both really like what Tony Bennett has. Who in the ACC do you think is going to be the toughest challenger for Virginia in that top spot? I think Duke and Carolina will be the, the, the top challengers. Last year was an anomaly in Chapel Hill, and I've been on a couple Zooms with Carolina players and Roy Williams, and he is hell-bent on not I – mean, Mike, that's the first losing season that man has had in 42 years of college coaching <laughs> as, as a head coach and assistant coach. He's he not living through that again. Uh, Tar Heels are going to be much better. Duke will be as, as good as, as usual. And then, you know, there's one team out there that I think folks are sleeping on. And I said this about them last year, and for whatever reason, it turned out to be right. And that's Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. And they return a ton of guys, including Jose Alvarado and Michael DeVoe in the backcourt. And that's a team that finished fifth in the league last year at 11 and nine, returns all those guys. And yet us non-heads in the media, we non-heads, we picked them ninth in the preseason poll. What the heck are we thinking? Yeah. They were fifth last year. They got everybody back. They got everybody back and ostensibly will be healthier, right? They've dealt yeah. with a lot of injuries, especially with Alvarado. And uh, when he's on the court, that's a different basketball team. So that's a great point, Dave. And now, like I said, the Hokies, they host Radford Wednesday, UVA, they're up in Connecticut. David, are we excited for basketball yet? No, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not excited. I, 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 I want to turn on my TV and see what it feels like. And, you know, maybe once the, 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 the game starts, I, I guess I was more excited for football, Mike, because I knew when football started, I was going to be there. 
and it was going to be like this get out of jail card, right? I mean, we hadn't been anywhere. We hadn't been anywhere since the ACC tournament. This is what we do. We're going stir crazy. We got cabin fever. Our families want us out of the house. But, you know, in, in, in basketball, it's going to be kind of a, of a slower buildup and we're Neither of us is going to be at Mohegan Sun. I don't think anybody from the Times Dispatch is suddenly catching a flight to South Dakota to 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 be with with VCU. Um, but yeah, I, I think once the games start and once we find ourselves on a press row or two, although it will be elevated at all schools for precautionary reasons, uh, I, I think we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get that that buzz, that excitement. I I was toying with going to to Blacksburg for the Radford game until you sagely pointed out that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, not the best day to be traveling on 81. No, I dude, I I would be so doing that via Zoom, man. <laughs> the new reality, doing it via Zoom. Well, thanks for listening. You could subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts by finding the RTD Podcast channel. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Get access to all of my work, David's work, and everything else we do covering Virginia, Virginia Tech, the ACC, and sports around the Commonwealth. The show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week. Music.